with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to uh, Friday After 9. This morning we've, we're going to start the show with a discussion about the uh, proposed legislation. Actually, I think it's gone through to change how short-term rentals are being regulated in the province. The province introduced this legislation that will come into effect next spring, limiting short-term rentals. So there's an exemption in the legislation for people who want to have a short-term rental in their home. But anyone who has a short-term rental outside their home, the only way that they would be able to to, uh, continue to have that is if municipalities themselves go ahead and apply for an exemption to the law. Today we've got Brian Skaken, city councillor. Trudy Clausen, also a city councillor, and Nicole Fraser, a former city planner and a, and a, and a professional planner, um, to discuss this topic. I want to start with Brian and Trudy. So you have uh, introduced a notice of motion that's going to be on Monday night, I believe, right? Yes. Um, that that wants to look into a report, ask, ask the city staff to produce a report on whether or not uh, Prince George should be exempted from this legislation. Can you just give me a little idea about why you wanted mm-hmm. to go ahead and put put uh, request that uh, report from the city staff? Well, first off, it's you 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 don't want to make a decision without having all the facts, and our city staff are best uh, suited to be the ones that do the research, figure it out. They they know the market. They know uh, they 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 have the the staffing and the time and to figure to find to do the research so that we can make because what we're asking for is for them to look at and talk to the various uh, stakeholders and get back to, with a report to us so that we can make a good sound decision for the residents of Prince George. Okay, and I assume that, you know, the the decision to request that report was based on some concerns that you have with the legislation. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, uh, one of the big things for myself and Trudy and I talked about it is that the provincial government has said if local governments want to opt opt out, there is that option. So we've talked to a number of realtors, of other folks that uh, run the Airbnbs, and I want to know what that option actually looks like, mm-hmm. what it entails. And then, as Councillor Classen mentioned, we're also going to be looking for feedback from the the tourism sector, uh, from you know the Airbnb owners, and just the public in general about what their thoughts are regarding. Um, you know, this issue. And, you know, I have to say, it, I think, for the most part, people are quite polarized on it, which is fair. And uh, so we'll see what happens on Monday night. Polarization seems to be the order of the day when it comes to politics right now. <laughs> uh, I want to bring Nicole into this conversation. Nicole, I mean, when this legislation came down, what were your initial thoughts about it? Well, I think that it's, uh, in principle, I think it's, it's really important. Um, it's an important issue. We need to, I think, regulate short-term rentals, and there's, it seems to be agreement, um, across Canada, so at a federal level, provincial level, and at a community level, that this is something that we need to regulate. Um, we need to uh, tackle the issue of housing affordability, and we need to increase the, uh, the overall housing stock for long-term rentals and for sale. Um, however, I think that the these regulations, I think really aligning with what Councillor Skaken and Councillor Klassen is saying here, is it needs to be considered at a local level. Often these regulations, you know, occur or enacted at a provincial level. Um, I th- believe this was a result of the lobbying efforts of um, mayors in, in BC. However, um, the the when it gets rolled out, the, the local considerations mm-hmm. really aren't being accounted for. So, you know, when we look at Prince George, what are the issues 
that are that are causing you know challenges in terms of housing affordability and what are some of the opportunities and I think this just kind of you know it rolls out and then you know, it says to the municipalities okay now by May 2024 you have to deal with this um, and what are we doing in terms of um, you know is there going to be increased you know funding for staff um, this is this is going to take a lot in terms of administering um, these regulations so I think there needs to be greater consideration of um, you know what are the local uh, challenges here I will say like we covered the report that came out this summer from a professor at I think it was a, a small unit at the University uh, McGill University in Montreal um, and they they claimed that there were 16,000 uh, homes that have been taken off the market in BC from short-term rentals, uh, and that's a, that that figure is actually cited in the press release from the provincial government. Right? Um, that's a that's a large number, and and what they're claiming is that the uh, that that taking those out of the long-term rental market has impacted the cost of of people's rent, right? Um, I should say, like, you know, I got a friend who's, who's trying to move to town. I'm looking around for him, you know, uh, ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm kind of between homes right now, so I'm house sitting, but I was looking at, I was looking at rental properties and, okay, so, uh, a one bedroom at Connaught right now, which is there on, I think it's the Queensway, right? Um, that costs $1,400 right now. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a pretty tall order for somebody who's maybe making minimum wage or, you know, they got, they got to live in a place and that's an apartment. A lot of people in Prince George prefer to live in houses. When I looked at the, uh, Airbnb, just, just to see how many entire homes are on the listing today, 131. So there's 131 places that, yeah. that we could be potentially moving back into the, into the uh, long-term rental market. I mean, are you folks opposed to moving Airbnbs back into the long-term rental market? Well, it's, it's, one of my concerns is that, uh, these property owners have made investments. They're running legitimate businesses and then all of a sudden to say, okay, we're going to change the rules. We're going to force you to sell your place to lower the overall housing prices if that's what it's going to do. And I, you know, and I don't absolutely, you know, I don't think that's fair. And, uh, at what point, um, do we get involved with private business and try and dictate terms that's going to affect their bottom line in that? And, and that's a real concern for me. And, you know, I mean, I know there's a, you know, there's an affordability crisis. We have a housing needs assessment that says we need all these homes built in town, but <clears throat> at whose cost? And, uh, and again, what Nicole said, the uh, cost to administer this, because my understanding is we're going to have to keep track of the license. We're going to have to keep track of so many things. And another issue I've heard is, well, you have to get rid of these Airbnbs because they're noisy. They're noisy, and uh, people are complaining. Well, we have bylaw services that that can deal with that. But I just think it's unfair to say you, we're going to change the rules. You either sell or get into these leases with uh, long-term tenants. And sometimes once you get the tenants in there. It's, it's almost impossible to get them out. So um, do we need some more regulations? I believe so, but I don't want to just force the, the folks that are running these places to sell them and then solve this uh, this crisis. And it doesn't necessarily follow that if you have to, if you get, like, let's say we, we don't opt out, if, if that's the decision by council, um, it doesn't necessarily follow that a, that an Airbnb home will be sold to like it's not necessarily affordable i mean for myself the airbnbs that i stay in are not affordable homes so i mean they're upper market right so would you really be helping the affordable housing crisis because that is primarily what we have is we have an affordable housing crisis and that is an issue that we need to address in other ways 
and I and I think if you look at the Airbnb um, places in Prince George, most of them are in the upper income would, would be fo- only for people in the upper income bracket. Nicole, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I think that that's, I, I think it's really important that we look at again at Prince George, specifically like 131 homes. I mean, that's a substantial number. But again, I think we need to know where are they located? Are they concentrated in a certain neighborhood? Yeah. Um, you know, is there, are there issues? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, is it close to, um, you know, grocery stores? Who's occupying some of these, well, these who, houses? Yeah. Are we looking at students perhaps that, you know, are there for the school year and then are leaving and then having other people occupy that for the summer months? If so, you know, can we tailor some of these uh, regulations to accommodate students that we know are coming to our community? What about, you know, out-of-town workers? Um, You know, I know that that seems to be um, preferred accommodations for a number of uh, workers that are coming to town um, over, you know, staying in a hotel and eating out every night, uh, where, of course, there's advantages to that as well for local businesses. But, uh, again, if we want them to kind of, you know, be part of our community, uh, you know, that seems like perhaps a, a more reasonable route. Um, and I think it just goes back to, again, like I think local communities need to know what um, their their local housing stock looks like. I know I've been asked numerous times um, in terms of the demographic. Prince George is, is only slightly growing. We know that there's a shifting yeah. demographic, so that probably accounts for some of the houses that are being bought. However, it doesn't account for the number of houses that are being bought um, and built in Prince George uh, in terms of affordability uh, for, I think, geez, probably a couple of decades now, Prince George and I think Nanaimo um, have been two of the, the places in BC that actually have the highest and like rents. Uh, so we have to ask ourselves, why is this happening? You know, is it people from um, outside of our community buying these houses and then renting them out? If so, I think we need to look at some of those um those local issues and decide how how we want to address that as a community. I do just want to actually get really pointed here. No one's forcing anyone to sell a home. People are the the, the regulation says you can no longer rent out a home you you yeah. own that's separate to your home, right? Yes. Hold on a minute, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Like so so this woman that was in the uh, the Prince George Citizen, it was interesting. She claimed that rather than renting. To rather than taking her eight homes that she owns and putting them into long-term rental, she would just sell them all. Yeah. The 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 functionally those are identical. One puts it into rental market. One puts it into homeowner market. Maybe someone's going to come along and buy that house and put it and then put it onto the rental market. That's fine. It it just puts more homes into the rental market. And to speak to the point about what what uh, kind of stratification or or where in that market those houses sit. You know, maybe they're kind of upper middle class houses. If you decrease the cost of rent in, in that stratification, the cost of rent in others will go down as well. That's basic supply and demand. My, my, my one year of, of economics at university, right? So, you know, that's, we're not forcing anyone to sell homes. No. And I just want to, the, the other point is like, Airbnb is new, right? And it's, it's been disruptive to the, to our economy and to our, to our housing market. But, and we're catching up on that. So we, we are. And it, okay, uh, not necessarily forced, but they, they, I guess maybe are forced to make a decision on what they're going to do. But when you talk about, and Nicole touched on it, medical professionals come in mm-hmm. here. We have to make the options for them to stay here and, and uh, comfortable accommodations that are safe, secure. Then they're, they are coming here filling some of these much needed jobs. So there's a niche there. I just don't know where the balance is. And, um, again, to just say, you know what, either you, 
rent them out long term or you sell them. I mean, I, I just think uh, no one saw this coming. And there's really, uh, you know, Mayor, uh, Nicole talked about the mayors, some mayors lobbying for it. But really, this whole thing is just we've had Bill 44, 45, I think 46 passed. Boom. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, uh, yeah, bam, bam, and then everybody's, it's just this shock. So um, we really want to get uh, some consultation. And But I, I, I'm telling you. And local local needs looked at. Yeah. Yeah, because that's so when you when anytime you've got these massive top down decisions, which have incredible impacts throughout the entire province made from Victoria, those are usually not the best decisions. And I would say for this, like just like uh, both Nicole and Brian have uh, alluded to, we Prince George is is unique uh, from every like certainly from Vancouver, where we are trying desperately to attract uh, healthcare professionals, especially to come to Prince George, even for just a few months. And for them, um, I mean, that was some of the first letters that we got, uh, was, you know, these, these healthcare professionals and other kinds of professionals are coming and staying in Airbnbs because, I mean, we all know more, more than a yeah, few, more than much more comfortable, much yeah. more comfortable yeah. right? And and so so the issues, so the the letters in uh, opposition to opting out are the complaint uh, driven, and also just about the um, one one very good one was uh, uh, about just the cha- how it changes a neighborhood. So that's something that we have to look at, and so that is why we wanted to put forward the notice of motion asking staff to. Uh, to look at all of these things. And just touching on uh, what uh, Councillor Skaken had said earlier, too, about tourism, I think it's important that we don't make assumptions, that we don't make assumptions about, um, you know, the impact of tourism. So I know in communities like Prince George, I mean, we're, you know, maybe not necessarily a hotspot like Kelowna or Vancouver. Um, So, you know, why are people coming here? And, you know, is it sports tournaments? Is it more affordable for families to now come to a community uh, and attend uh, sports tournaments and then, you know, see what Prince George is all about? Maybe do some shopping. Uh, they can cook within the home versus a, a hotel. That might be a more affordable option for a number of people coming to our community um, and experiencing Prince George uh, versus, you know, looking at it and saying the cost of a hotel per night, especially if you have a couple kids, uh, you know, that's that's pretty substantial. So I think again, it's not—it's not an all-or-nothing um, issue here. I mean, in terms of even the nine uh, rentals that you mentioned in the Prince George Citizen, if if that's something that as a community we say, you know what, you shouldn't own nine. Well, then as a community, we should be able to say, well, is there a limit then on the number of Airbnbs um, that you know one person can own in the community? Maybe that's something that we look at. I know in Halifax, uh, this came out very similar um, challenges. They said, you know what, we are absolutely on board with uh, this, these, these regulations. However, you know, councillors there said the same thing. We need to know how we can address this at a local level. There they chose to... Um, essentially ban uh, the Airbnbs in uh, the residential areas uh, and said they want to keep them in commercial and mixed-use uh, areas in order to prevent some of the issues. So, again, it's not an all or nothing. All right, got to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. 
Hello, this is Boris Shasain. To get a feel on what's happening across the country, listen to Viewpoints. For reports, interviews, and documentaries on politics, arts and culture, the environment, housing, and more. Thanks to 30 journalists stationed in the Canadian provinces and territories. Local news nationwide. Monday nights at 11 on CFIS 93.1 FM. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture Center in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250-562-6638. Forecast from Environment Canada, cloudy with a 60% chance of flurries today. Winds in the south at 20 starting this afternoon. Temperature steady near minus 5 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 11. Tonight, partly cloudy, becoming cloudy near midnight. South winds becoming light this evening. Light snow beginning overnight. Temperature steady near minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 12. For Saturday, snow ending near noon, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind becoming southwest 20 in the afternoon. A high of 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 9. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. I want to shift gears here to think about some problem solving. You know, we clearly have an affordability crisis, and even if... Prince George is a little more affordable than so many other places in the province, which is actually great for us, frankly. It attracts people who want to, you know, start a family or own a home from the lower mainland. Um, it's still, the affordability is still a real, a real is. issue here, right? Um, so, like, what are some of the kind of creative ways we might be able to solve? For instance, Brian, you mentioned you've got these problems where, hey, someone who's coming in for hospice or, or medical professionals are coming in, they don't have a place to stay. Airbnb has provided that for them. Okay, let's assume that Airbnb is going to have a clampdown. Is there another option out there? Do we have do we have other options that could be available to us? <laughs> go, go, go. Lead, um, leading question. Leading yeah. question. Leading question. Uh, other options for uh, for to house those folks? Yeah, I was thinking. In? You know, Ronald McDonald House yeah. is one example where it's a charitable well, organization. I think this, right? is, this is where this is an example of where the private sector. Uh, and let me just toot that horn a little bit. The private sector has saw a need, and has stepped in to fill that gap. So, is that a bad thing? Or have, is this an example, like, so should we be punishing this private sector, like, like these mom and pop businesses, especially that those are the ones that I'm thinking of that have stepped forward to meet that need. That doesn't mean that we can't look at some regulation at maybe, uh, looking at the possibility of requiring business licenses for every air, for any Airbnb that you don't actually live in because it is actually a business. So 
like those are all options. Um, but I, I think I would want us to resist the urge to punish the private sector yeah. for coming up, uh, coming up with a solution before the public sector did. You know, the, the B and B thing is interesting. I, I, I heard this thing about how it started, right? Airbnb was because of air mattresses I know, on people's floors, right? San Francisco or something. <laughs> yeah. And he built this little platform and yeah. then you can, you can kind of, you know, the B and B structure is not something that can be e- easily turned into market housing. Yeah. The B and B structure is yeah. a room in your house. Yeah. yeah. You provide them bed and breakfast, right? Yeah. There's a little bit yeah. of room and board there. And if we if we were moving back to that, that might be might easily easily accommodate that, yeah. and people can make a little extra cash. And it goes back to you know we're in this housing crisis, and yeah, it I, helps I think people about, afford their mortgages. Right? And I think about my grandparents. So <laughs> yeah. uh, during the depression, my grandmother lived on a farm. There were people who came along and said, "How many rooms you got in your house? How many people live in here? You got an extra room? We're putting this guy in here." He's going to be, and this is the government forcing people yeah. to take people off the street and house them because there was a crisis, right, Brian? Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned uh, these other agencies. So, for example, Northern Health, their recruitment and retention, and I don't think they do it. They might, but I don't think there's anything stopping them from saying, look, here's a housing stock in town. Um, aim high rents a ton of homes in town or buys them, why not uh, have Northern Health say, look, you know, we're going to commit. You want to move to Prince George? We're going to have uh, X number of homes, these style of homes for you, you know, uh, these types of neighborhoods and stuff like that because they have to make it, like they're in a competition themselves. So can we work with them to do that? Um, I, I think there's opportunities. We just, I don't think we've collectively found out what everybody's doing. What's a, what's a friendship center doing? You know, are they looking at options as well? Are they uh, housing? Aboriginal member- Housing Society of Prince George, for instance, they built some purpose-built stuff. Or yeah, that's right. But do levels. some of their members come in for different different bands and stay in an Airbnbs right now because you know of uh, accommodations, whatever? So there's a bunch of things, and I just don't think we know all the answers, and we might not. But I think we're going to have enough time to just get some consultation, find out what uh, you know a lot of the folks think, and then the uh, the NGOs and, and that I think talk to them and and see what they think. Yeah, again, I, I agree. I think it's really about um, a bottom-up approach versus this top-down, Yeah. Um, you know, approach that we've been seeing. I think the, the I mean, for a few decades now, we've been seeing, you know, a, a number of um, decisions being made at provincial and federal level and just basically downloaded onto local governments to, yeah. to then deal with. And I think we need to look at, again, going really meaningful public engagement and Mm -hmm. consultation and saying, this is your community. You know, what do you want it to look like and how can we accommodate some of these, um, some of these needs? And, and again, going back to this idea, like civil society, we need to create these connections. We need to go and ask our community, how can we deal with this, this issue as a collective versus these individual, I, I mean, I, 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 disagree with the idea that, you know, homes should be commercialized. Uh, I know that, you know, if you have a home, um, you know, it's a great way to generate a little bit of, you know, revenue. Uh, It's accessible, especially if you're kind of middle class, you know, you want an extra form of revenue. Should you have nine? I don't know. I think that's something that uh, perhaps the community should should answer. But I think, again, that goes back to, you know, looking at local solutions. If you've got nine, then maybe they should be long-term rentals for people. Like that's what this legislation is saying. But, you know, I, I want to just step back here. It's funny because during the uh, provincial liberal tenure there for 15 or so years, uh, there was 
basically a hands-off approach to the housing market, right? There was almost zero investment in social housing. And, you know, I did a little analysis at the, I think it was the 2015 or 2017 provincial election of like where the money was coming from, right? It was Aquilini's. It was, you know, the big Concord Pacific. The the, the provincial liberals were making a ton of cash yeah. off of the big developers, right? Yeah. And you, you look at that and you look at the their kind of laissez-faire approach to uh, to housing, it, it, it fits together. I think we should thank the provincial NDP for dropping the hammer on us and making us think about this thing in a real concerted effort. We always talk, I mean, I talk about the speed of government. Like I work in, uh, communications and engagement. A lot of my, a lot of my contracts kind of overlap with government processes and it's very slow. We, look at, look at what the province has done. They forced us to actually kind of get off the pot. Well, and this is, this is a little bit of the problem that I was thinking about is that when municipalities, when municipal leaders don't take the initiative to deal with the problems in their community, that's, I, I, I cannot blame entirely the, the provincial government for doing for using the heavy hammer, but I think it sh- it just goes to show that you know what municipal politics politics is incredibly important because you need to deal with the issues at hand, and if you don't, then uh, big daddy government is going to come yeah. in. And and they did because the federal government announced that they were going to eliminate most, if not all, the write offs for these Airbnb owners for non principal residents, and I'm thinking. If I was an Airbnb owner and I had some money, I'd, I'd be taking that up as a constitutional challenge because really what they're doing is, is I, I think they're doing it wrong. At least we have the option of BC to uh, opt out and stuff like that. They're going to saying to the Airbnb, you know, you're not going to have your tax write-offs. Yeah. You're going to have to get rid of these places. So it's a top-down approach. And I'm just thinking they are just, they are lighting fires that I don't know if they're going to be able to put out. So hopefully, uh. I mean, my, my question to, to speaking of that is I think that we're a little backwards in where we put the um, the rights. Uh, other jurisdictions, we talked a little bit about this before the show, other jurisdictions in Europe, for instance, ha- have this security of tenure at the basis of their kind of rental, renter yeah, rights, yeah. right? There's places like Switzerland, my dad's from Switzerland, 75% of the people that rent, right? Much lower home ownership co- uh, rates, and people rent a place for their entire lives, yeah. right? Because, I mean, it's cultural, but it's also legislated. Like, if you want to evict somebody, you got to go to court. Yeah. Here, there's a board, right? It's a very, it's, it, we, cl- like, uh, landlords complain about how hard it is to evict someone. Well, try evicting someone in Europe, right? Yeah. Yes, but home ownership, I think, just since you went there, uh, private home ownership is one of the biggest creators of wealth in Canada and I for one would not want to be the one that would step on that because I think that is one of the reasons that we have been an attractive place for people to come mm-hmm. and it's it's how people build wealth and anyone can begin at some level and, and again I think it's a lot of the reason why people choose to live in northern BC versus you know other metropolitan centers I think here it seems like home ownership is a piece of the local culture uh, I mean the culture here in northern BC I think is different than you know in a number of other places in um, for better or for worse uh, in BC and I think we need to consider that when we're making these decisions and kind of back to your point in terms of you know the the province should they have said we need to deal with this yes uh, but is is this the way of doing it? I I don't know. I think you could. They could have said to municipalities by this date, you need to have legislation mm-hmm. in place, local legislation, or pardon me, local bylaws, um, in terms of how you're going to deal with this. This yeah. is the issue. Yeah. Uh, we're going to give you the resources to do adequate 
public engagement and consultation. We're going to make sure that you have the um, resources in-house, so staff, that can facilitate this. And then you can actually go out and make sure that you're addressing the issues in terms of housing affordability. I just don't know if this is going to be the answer. Yeah. I love it. I, I, and this is, Brian, during the break, was talking about attracting the uni, un, Union of BC Municipalities yeah. here to Prince George. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see Prince George start taking a leadership position on some of these issues because, frankly, we've been at the other end of things, responding to things, being very reactive. I think that you folks, and with this this approach here, taking a, and this is what I love with Prince George too, a made in Prince George solution might be exactly Yay. what we need. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming in. Thanks, yeah. Councillor Skaken, Councillor Clausen, and Nicole Fraser. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thank Have you very much. Have a great weekend. All right. Okay. Check out Creative Space Sunday at Two Rivers Gallery. Create your own winter wonderland using construction paper for 3D snowflakes this Sunday at 1. Featuring a new activity each week, Creative Space Sunday is free for members with a nominal fee for non-members. It's a drop-in event with no registration required. Come by yourself, with your family, or with friends for 3D snowflakes the next Creative Space Sunday, 1 o'clock this Sunday afternoon at Two Rivers Gallery. Kick off the holiday season and support your friends, families, and communities in the North with the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation's 30th Annual Festival of Trees. Take in events such as the Medichair Seniors Brunch, Scotiabank Seniors Tea, and Canadian Tire Fashion Show, to name a few, or just tour the trees through Sunday at the Prince George Civic Centre. For details or to purchase tickets, visit spiritofthenorth.ca or call the Foundation office at 250-565-2515. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and there are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Yeah, to After 9, here we are with today's uh, Friday political panel. We've got Eric Allen, Herb Martin, James Steidel, and Art Betke. And uh, I'm just, we're just coming off that... Uh, Sorry, one second. Uh, we're just coming off of the 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 concerns about Airbnb. And uh, Art, I want to go to you first. Actually, talking a little bit about the the first topic here. We're going to talk about the CDC uh, getting some money from. from that's the right. Government yeah, sorry. For, that's the, uh, uh, the the Google. So Google right, finally Google. made an agreement with the federal government. Uh, to say we're gonna we're gonna be giving up to 100 million dollars every year to Canadian journalists, uh, to, sorry, journalist institutions. Art, what do you think about this uh, this announcement here? 
I was rather surprised that Google fell for it. I mean, you know, what's it to them? There must be a considerable amount of advertising revenue that they would collect if they're willing to put out $100 million a year. Um, I know it's less than... Uh, than the government wanted, but uh, I think uh, the newspapers, are, they're quite happy with that to be getting something and then to be getting exposure again on Google. Yeah, I wonder, because uh, I was trying to find out how much they were already investing, because they're doing, that. both them and Meta were doing these kind of little one-off, sending some grants out here and there, right? Um, $100 million seems like a lot, but when you when you consider that the advertising revenue that used to be taken up by like legacy media, including broadcast, has now been basically swallowed whole by Meta and and Google, you know the, there that that fourth estate, you know, what's the future without without any advertising revenue, right? Well, that's what keeps them alive for sure. James, what do you think about this announcement? I, uh, the the Google thing, I mean, it's good news, I suppose, but it didn't really seem like. Um Google really affected news that much. Like I could still search for stories on Google and they'd still pop up. Uh, to me, the big the big problem is Facebook still blocking Canadian news from being shared. Uh, a deal is not being settled with with Meta in that regards. Uh, but yeah, good news. A hundred million bucks. I guess that's that's uh, better than nothing. Uh, the one kind of thing that surprised me was CBC was going to get some of that money, which you know <laughs> they're already getting a bunch of taxpayer money to to do the news and and. Uh, you know, they had to get roped in on, on that deal. It doesn't really seem like that was the best use of that uh, negotiating tactic. But uh, all in all, I guess uh, hopefully progress is being made. Yeah, something like 70% of the CBC revenue comes from taxes. And they do have a they've, – they've built these sharing agreements now, right? Like basically a bunch of their reporting is public uh, – Kind of public access, so other other outlets can use it, almost like Canadian press, without having to pay for it. I mean, I I'm really grateful, frankly, that Google didn't yank our our ability to search for news. Like, I, it's it's sad that I have to be grateful for that. They're almost like a utility at this point. You know, we we talk about using a search engine, we talk about googling it, right? Um, but Facebook, I mean, that's a huge thing. I think it actually has really um, reduced our ability as kind of citizens to share our thoughts and opinions about this stuff when when that kind of has become the public square. Herb, what do you think about this $100 million agreement? Well, I think the Liberals were wise to um, to stand up to Google. The, Google's already and Facebook have made a deal in Australia, and um, uh, why wouldn't Canada get, uh, you know, share revenue as well uh, with, uh, you know, w- with the uh, newspapers and, and um, news media and uh, uh, the internet, um, uh, social media. I mean, they were going to be forced to, right? And th- and that number was more like 172 million, apparently, underneath the under the, the legislation as it was. So I mean, it, you know, basically they said we'll take our ball and go home if you don't give us a better deal. And they, it's interesting that they were happy with 100 million. Like Art says, like they must be making a crap load of of advertising revenue if 100 million dollars can just they can just give it away basically. I don't really, you know, I don't get half of this stuff. Uh, so, a newspaper, say the Vancouver Sun or whatever, writes an article, and it ends up on Google. And then Google would, as before they got this settlement, they would just print it, and uh, they would get all the advertising revenue. And and the initiating paper, the Vancouver Sun, would get nothing. Is that the way it was working. So what what you've got here? Okay, you're going to search for something on Google, and if you notice when you search, it's not just the news. What they've done more and more is they will pull content from somewhere and give you a snippet, 
right, of that content, for instance, from Wikipedia. And then, and then you have the option to go to the link. But what Google is doing is really taking content that other people have produced, keeping it on their platform, right, and then... And then basically giving you, maybe you only wanted that snippet, right? You have the opportunity to go and le- learn more, but they're kind of keeping keeping things on their platform as much as possible and therefore getting the advertising revenue from to, to themselves. At the same time, when you go to the Vancouver Sun, Google is the platform that runs their ads, right? So you have this kind of like whether, you know, you're, you're going to Google regardless of, where, of whether you're going to actually go into the deep dive or not. Yeah, that's what I kind of find out. Like I do, you know, I go there all the time, and then they get onto these, what you call snippets, and then get onto that story and get onto something else. <clears throat> if you go specifically to newspapers, you go to five or six different newspapers yeah. to get the same information. So uh, it, to me, it's just a big issue that they have to uh, decide how they're going to do it. And whatever the decision is, we go with what's left. Yeah, my, my, I guess my concern is actually like where this leaves, uh, the generation of people who grew up without having to go to the outlet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with both Facebook and Google, a lot of people, if they're interested in a topic, they're just going to go, like Facebook is just passive, but Google are going to go to it, right? And if we had lost, if we had lost, uh, newspapers and other journalism off of Google, well, the people here who are very plugged into the news would have been able to go and find that information on our own. Other people may not have, right? Other people may have may have just accepted that and and moved on. You know, I I think one of the things we have to talk about is is basically uh, replacing Google with with some kind of government run. Like you said earlier, it's a public utility. Uh, let's start treating it like that. I mean, the big cost that Google has to face is is power, right? They've got these data centers and. Um, I think we might get into it here in the next topic with the hydrogen deal, but you know, BC's got a lot of power, and one of the one of the things we're proposing is selling it to data centers for data farming and, and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, if we have the the public utilities providing the power, I don't know how hard it is to create a search engine nowadays. I mean, this is old technology. Whatever, uh, you know, we've had search engines for decades. How hard is it for for uh, the government, well, I guess, yeah, when you use the word government, the answer is probably very hard. But I the mean, government can't come even on, pay it's got to be, it's gotta be, it's gotta be possible. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. Sorry for that, Brayford. Prince George Parkinson's Support Group meets the third Saturday of each month at the Spruce Capital Senior Center. Anyone suffering from Parkinson's or assisting someone battling with the disease is encouraged to attend for the sharing of information, education, and support. For more information, call Gina at 250-960-1600. That's the Prince George Parkinson's Support Group meeting the third Saturday of each month at the Spruce Capital Senior Center, the corner of Rainbow and Liard Drives. The Prince George Hospice Palliative Care Society offers family grief support services. The service supports children who grieve and their parents or caregivers. The programs are separate but run at the same time. The same topics will be presented to each group, which can then be shared as a family at home together. There is also a children's drop-in support group. Registration is required. Registration and full details are available from the Prince George Hospice Palliative Care Society online at pghpcs.ca. 
It's the perfect family start to the weekend. Both branches of the Prince George Public Library host family movies every Friday between 3 and 5.30. The movie nights are a free drop-in event, and the movies are suitable for all ages. The library will even provide the popcorn for you to munch on while watching the movie. To find out what movie is playing this week, go to pgpl.ca slash events. That's family movies every Friday from 3 to 5.30 at both branches of the public library. Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloud over 60% chance of flurries today. Winds in the south at 20 starting this afternoon. Temperature steady near minus 5 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 11. Tonight partly cloudy, becoming cloudy near midnight. South winds becoming light this evening. Light snow beginning overnight. Temperature steady near minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 12. For Saturday, snow ending near noon, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind becoming southwest 20 in the afternoon. A high of 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 9. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, today is actually the opening of uh, Converts of the Party's 28. I guess it must be 28 years since 97, since the Kyoto Protocol, although now we're talking about the the Paris Agreement, which I believe started in 2005. 15. 2015, sorry. So the big news that is coming out of... um, for Canada, at least, is that oil and gas executives are actually joining the Canadian delegation. Um, and, you know, I wonder if this is a little bit of the uh, the uh, fox guard in the hen house. James, what do you think about, about the Canadian delegation inviting oil and gas delegates to, uh, oil and gas execs to uh, this COP28 discussion? Well, I, th- I think the, the government's compromised, right? We've just spent, uh, what's the price tag on Trans Mountain now? We're, we're uh, $20 billion? North of twenty billion. I mean, this is a lot of taxpayer monies we've 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 got invested in in this uh, oil and gas infrastructure. We don't want to get that shut down. So, I think the, the uh, little bit of uh, you scratch my back, uh, I'll scratch your back. But as far as the government and the uh, the oil industry is concerned, uh, that's uh, that's what's happening. And I mean, it just kind of further goes to illustrate how useless these these conferences are. I don't think uh, and COP stands for um, Conference of the Parties, you know, I, and I don't think. I don't think the parties really do want to resolve uh, climate change. I think, I think uh, there's been very little to no progress on this topic since since Kyoto. And uh, you know, you got seventy thousand people flying into this this conference. How many airplanes are, are flying into this thing? You know, it's just it's just a big schmooze fest uh, that won't accomplish anything. And I think we'd be better off if we didn't do these conferences uh, to begin with. Yeah, and I mean, it's hosted by the United Arab Emirates, which is one of the biggest petroleum producers around. Herb, I mean. The oil execs run oil companies. They got to be involved in some of these discussions, don't they? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, these guys are going to make deals. Or they're going to do whatever they they do they can to make money. It's um, it's uh, it is, but at least it's in, in the public domain. People are watching. Uh, someone's got to come out and make some sort of pronouncements. It's probably a good thing to have these these things every year or every couple of years, uh, even if it doesn't actually accomplish too much. Um, because, you know, people are also watching the, the climate change that's happening about them. So, yeah, I mean, it, we, it, put it on record and um, let's see what we can get done. But uh, so far, it hasn't been very convincing. But, I mean, what about the executives from the oil companies? What do you think about them joining the, joining the party? Well, I mean, they're going to be, at some point, they're in the, the energy business, and at some point they're going to realize that... Uh, uh, or acknowledge that uh, renewable energy is actually cheaper than fossil fuel. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's changes are coming, and 
But it, it's slow. It's far too slow. Eric, we've got uh, oil execs going to the United Arab Emirates to talk about climate change. Is that where they should be? Well, it's PR, eh? You better better there tell them what you're going to do in the future to help solve the problem than not be there and say you're not going to do anything because they're the cause of the problem. So now if you read it, they're part of the solution. Looking forward, this thing's going to happen and they're going to be involved. And, and they're really excited about this new step into the future. And the, uh, <laughs> you know, it's really funny that, you know, like... Uh, I didn't realize that there was that much devastation around the world from this so-called global warming. But reading this article indicates there's places all over the world that are devastated by this. So in in a weird sort of way, these people getting together and paying them for the damage is a solution. They didn't have to do anything. They just give them some money because of all the damage and carry on. You see, so so you don't really know what's going on there, but... uh, I guess a good rule of thumb would be take it with a grain of salt. Art, what do you think of these uh, oil execs jumping on the climate change bandwagon? And they'll, they'll be, are they going to be uh, changing their ways and starting to fight climate change now that they're joining the uh, conference of the parties? No, they're kissing up to the environmentalists. The whole point of the conference of parties is to shut down the complete oil industry. And they know that. And, uh, uh, the propaganda from the environmentalists is that these are evil people and evil industries and they're destroying the earth and killing people and that. And so what they're doing is uh, like trying to be shown to be part of the solution to this non-problem and, uh, you know, improving their image to the to the people. Well, that's not going to work. I mean, give me a break. Uh, the, the whole thing, they're still going to be just called hypocrites and just like all the people who are there at that conference are hypocrites. I mean, they're massive users of the oil. And if you want the oil to uh, shut down, the, the solution is, is quite simple. If you want to stop fossil fuels, the people who are using it should just stop using it. And then there would be no oil industry. There'd be no coal, coal industry, no gas industry. But the people won't stop using it because uh, they need it. And uh, what's more... These conference of the parties are, they're not going to accomplish anything. They're a complete waste of money. Uh, two years ago, they said, uh, as I mentioned on this very program, uh, that uh, they said that this was our last chance to save the planet. After that, it would be too late. Well, they're going to say the same thing again this year. They said the same thing last year. They said the same thing for 27 years. And it's always a last chance. Next year it'll be the next last chance. And it's nonsense. It's, it accomplishes absolutely nothing and it has a massive carbon footprint. That's interesting. I mean, actually, some of the stuff you said sounds like a good argument for a carbon tax. <laughs> you want, you that accomplishes nothing using, either. You want people to stop using carbon, you're going to tax it, right? Well, that's the whole point of the carbon tax is make it so expensive you can't afford it. But, of course, there's nothing, like I said, there's nothing else to replace it. The renewable energy can't replace it, and it's very prohibitively expensive when you factor in all the costs. So I mean, we do, we, we you know, I, I understand Art's position on the whole kind of climate change um, issue. Um, not everyone agrees with that position. The, you know, the the... How are we supposed to go forward with resolving or addressing, let's say, 
I, th- I think uh, Eric made a good point. You know, like the, um, paying these countries, these oil companies, paying off people for the for some of the damages. I think that's the only way to go forward uh, through the legal system, through holding um, polluters accountable for the costs that they incur in the rest of society. And, and at a certain point, you know, for um, I mean, it's a tricky one because at a certain point, all of us are going to have to pay more money for using oil, uh, whether we like it or not. It's gonna we're gonna owe that now, or we're gonna owe it later. Uh, but the sooner that we come up with uh, alternative technologies and alternative ways of living, uh, the better. I think there's a lot of ways to reduce carbon emissions that aren't being talked about. I mean, uh, in my op-ed there a couple weeks ago about uh, making economies more local like getting more processing of beef happening here in town instead of shipping live animals from Prince George to Alberta to be fed in the huge factory farm and all the finished product to get shipped back here. I mean, it's a huge waste of energy, and we do we do that in all aspects of our economy. That could all be changed. Uh, lots of things we can do. All right, you just got you got last word here. Yeah, about uh, making uh, consumers pay for the, the damage. A number of cities have tried to sue the oil companies to get them to pay for all the damage that they're having to... Uh, uh, pay for themselves all the costs uh, which are really nothing uh, out of the ordinary but they all use it I mean name me one city in the world that does not have a fleet of fossil fueled vehicles that does not heat their buildings with fossil fuels there isn't any so if they really think it's so much damaging why are they using it it's the users It's they use it because it's needed All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. If you would like to learn Italian or just practice what you already know, the Prince George Italian Club hosts weekly Italian language meetings. There are two groups, one for beginners and the other for intermediate and advanced speakers. Your $30 annual membership covers everything. The sessions are held on a drop-in basis between 7 and 9 every Thursday at the Italian Club at 1209 Fifth Avenue. To register for the Italian language sessions, email amanetta at shaw.ca. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we have help you grow, train, and sell your business. The City of Prince George is seeking applications for the 2024 intake of the Celebrate PG grant. The grant helps registered not-for-profits implement new or enhance current events that increase community pride and focus on attracting visitors. The application deadline is Monday, December 18th at 4.30 p.m. Full details about the Celebrate PG grant, including how to apply, can be found on the City website through the Community Grants link under Community and Culture at princegeorge.ca. Do you want to know more about the planet we live on? The Prince George Public Library has a series of interesting documentaries on science, technology, biology, and much more coming up. There are two Discovery Series sessions planned at the downtown branch of the library on December 22nd and 29th. These are drop-in events designed for all ages. Learn more about the planet Earth and what makes it such a strange and wonderful place. The first session is December 22nd from 3 to 4.30 at the downtown branch of the library. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're actually going to segue into uh, some alternative power. There's a question about 
the Site C dam starting to come online, and a, a proposal from Fortescue, who's going to be producing hydrogen power, that they could actually take, I think it's actually more than the, the dam actually uh, produces, they could take all that energy and turn it into hydrogen. Uh, and, and the question, I guess, that uh, James raised in a recent uh, op-ed and Herb has told me about is, do we want to actually be subsidizing this relatively experimental um, power production? Should our uh, publicly subsidized power go to this private industry that is, you know, ostensibly will make a profit off of our off of our subsidy? Herb? Well, the interesting thing, uh, Fortescue's got a number of um, plants on the, on the go, uh, a couple in Australia, one in the States. They're all about one twentieth the size they're, produce, they're they're proposing for Prince George. So in Australia, the average electrical price is about thirty three cents, and um, Site C is coming on over budget, and it's going to be at least sixteen cents. But it's still, and they're going to get the, the electricity for six cents. So why are we subsidizing uh, a foreign multinational? Um, and, and, and basically what, what's, what's happening is all corporations um, look to arbi- arbitrage uh, differences in price. And up until now, no one's been able to do that with electricity, really. You can only transport it so far. You can't transport over the oceans. But Fortescue is going to do that by turning our cheap electricity, our, that the taxpayers of, print, of BC have paid for, into hydrogen and then export it. So what, what's the benefit to us? Hundred jobs, really? That, that's that's one hundred and sixty million dollars a job. Two two hundred sixty six million, according to my complex uh, calculations. Okay, I mean that's that's just insane, and you know, and and people have to start realizing. Look, we we uh, Western Canada Select sells at thirty cent thirty two cents a liter at the moment. Okay, we sell it to the Americans. They sell us back uh, diesel at a dollar thirty. You know. Diesel's the, the basis of our economy at the moment, and that's a big source of inflation. Uh, natural gas, now that there's uh, pipelines to the coast, we're, you know, the price of, of natural gas is going to at least double. The, the export price for natural gas in the States is over 6 bucks. The present Henry Hub price that, uh, that the producers are getting in Canada, $2.70. Okay, the spot price in Japan is $15.00. That's why they want the. That's that's pipeline. why they, that's why they build the pipeline, and that's why everyone's natural gas pipe, uh, prices, uh, the cost is going to at least double in the next couple of years. And so, what are we going to left with? We're going to have we're going to have electricity that we've paid for, and that we're it's still relatively cheap, but um, that's going to be gone now too. That's going to be in hydrogen that's been exported overseas. Eric, I mean, the idea behind hydrogen is that it is a. Uh, a clean fuel, right? What comes out of your tailpipe? It's water. Uh, is that not something that we should be investing in in order to, you know, move towards a, a post-fossil fuel future? Well, <clears throat> I mean, it is a clean fuel, uh, but we're not using it here. We're, we actually export it, and then they they use it to generate electricity over in Japan or Korea or whatever. And take place so they can get rid of using coal. There are hydrogen. Uh, there is. There are two. I believe two hydrogen trucks based out of Prince George. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, that's kind of a cover for what they're really doing. The, the big. The big deal is exporting it. Uh, just. Just look at some of the documentation. One hundred and sixty 
rail cars uh, to a unit train going to Prince Rupert from the one in Prince George. And uh, this uh, 72 shipments a year or something of 160 rail cars. And that's just from the one here. And then you get the one in uh, McLeod Lake or Kerry Lake or Kelly Lake, Kerry Lake. That uh, has not been built yet, but it's proposed. No, but it's a planning where Mitsubishi is looking at it. Yeah. And that's another big one. So this is a huge exporting thing and there's lots of money involved in it, but not for the people that are actually supplying it. And uh, <clears throat> at the very least, they should give us the credits for uh, greenhouse gas or, the, or reducing greenhouse gas emissions in foreign countries by supplying the uh, raw material to allow them to do that. Yeah. Art, I mean, Herb and Eric are kind of pointing to Canada just being, once again, exporting cheap raw materials, right, and us paying, right? I mean, sounds like raw logs again to me. Uh, do you think that this is the way forward for, for our, you know, natural resource economy? Uh, if if somebody wants to produce hydrogen in BC, then it's fine with me. Uh, just don't take any government money for it. Uh, they should do it all on their own. And uh, the problem with hydrogen itself is uh, it contains less energy than it takes to produce it. So it's not that efficient uh, a, f- a fuel. Uh, it's very efficient when you have the final product, but getting there is what the problem is. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's a little bit dangerous. It, it can't be contained as easily as natural gas, so you, you, you can't do it the same way. When they transport it, they don't transport it as hydrogen. They convert it to ammonia or something and then convert it back to hydrogen later. Uh, but, you know, the government is subsidizing. They're spending trillions of dollars in the, the Europe, the United States, Canada, Australia, on uh, subsidizing green industries. Uh, so why is there a surprise that they would subsidize this one? Come on, that's what they do. James, I mean, in order to in order to attract the investment, don't we need to actually provide them with a reason to? To come here, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with Art on this. I think I think the market should determine that uh, if they want to use uh, power to make hydrogen, they should pay the market cost of that power. So I think you have to look at the incremental cost of any additional uh, production here in BC, and that's going to be whatever Site C costs. Uh, it's uh, at a minimum that's going to be twelve and a half cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, Herb said sixteen cents. It might get that high. Uh, it probably will be that high, and we sell it for six cents. So that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, if Fortescue wants to set up in Prince George, they should be paying uh, twelve to sixteen cents a kilowatt hour, and and good luck. You know, they got to pay for the dam. We're not paying for that thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, I appreciate everyone's time today. Uh, happy December. Here we are. It's uh, it's getting into the holiday season. So have a great uh, weekend. Light up time. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.